Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, welcome. You are here on week one of our brand new series. This series will carry us all the way up until Labor Day, but this is week one, and we're so glad that you're here today. Yes, I decided I wanted to take on the 10 commandments. Doesn't it just sound big and holy, like there's a voice up in the heavens that's, you know, a little Barry Whitish, and be like, uh, the Ten Commandments, and you know, there's a guy with a beard, and maybe thunderbolts in his hand, and he's ready to strike you at any point that you break one of these rules. You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like the Ten Commandments kind of represented something uh, that, that what I hopefully will show you today that it didn't represent, that you, you maybe had conversations about like whether or not you were a good person or not, and you're like, well, I, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. Like, well, you know, because what, one of the things that I think is a huge issue in the minds of most Americans is the religious approach to God. As a matter of fact, I just had a conversation with a woman, and she said, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not very religious. Which was, I think, her way of saying, I believe in God, and I, I like to pray, but I really want to do anything I want with my life. Um, and not obey any of these rules that you have. And, and I thought, that what, what an interesting idea that the way that she looked at the rules was somehow a barrier. It was somehow a burden. It was something that was maybe um, something that hung over your head as something you, you had to keep. Because I think there's, there is a few religious ideas that are out there. And just so you know, they're across the board in every major religion, right? And, and I think Sometimes that this idea flows from the Ten Commandments a little bit, but like here's some of the ideas that we have, and this is again, this is in every religion. Number one is this, is well, if I just keep all the rules, God will like me. You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like on weeks that you were really, really good, that you just felt better about your prayers? But on weeks that you were really, really bad, you were like, there's no way this is getting answered. There's no, there's no way. God is so angry with me because what I did last night, there is no way he's going to answer. So our, literally our confidence in our prayers hinges on what we did or didn't do the night before. Because in, and again, this is in every major religious system in the world. In essence, it says something like this. There's a bunch of rules and you need to follow them. And if you follow them, you'll be close to God or God will like you or God will answer your prayers or God will favor you. Or here, here's another way of looking at it too, is, is that, well, God is really, really good and I'm bad and I need to get gooder. <laughs> like, like this, is, this, is, this is the way we approach church so many times. We're like, where, you ever invite somebody to church? This is so common. I invite somebody to church and be like, I don't know if I'm ready for church yet. I think I need to like get my life together before I go back to church. It's almost like I've got to be gooder before I go back to the good God because if I'm not good and I go back to the good God, he won't receive me. Like, he won't welcome me. I won't feel good. You'll even feel weird sitting up in church if you're not good. Or you ever felt like that? Like, just being bad made me feel bad about being at church. Like, like again, there's this whole notion that, in essence, that if I keep the rules, God will accept me or I'll be in the God club or God will be good with me. We sit around and have like these deep conversations. Maybe you go to a funeral and you're like, I wonder where they went. And then you start thinking about your life or you have a conversation and you're like, hey, are you gonna get into heaven? Like, and you're like, well, I don't know. I think I've been a good enough person. And in essence, what we're saying is this. I hope I've been good enough for God. I'm waiting on that next one. Is it not there? I hope this is, this is, there, come on people, get, to, get to drink some coffee. Um, 
I hope I've been good enough for God to let me into heaven. You ever had that thought, that feeling, that conversation? Like, are they going to let me in? If they knew everything I really did, I don't know that they'll let me in. But if I start right now getting gooder and being better, maybe if I'm good enough, God will let me in. And let me just tell you what, this stuff is powerful. This has major ramifications if you think like this or these thoughts cross your mind. I remember a conversation I had with my mom where like one week her tire went out and she said, you know what, I skipped church on Sunday and I think God was getting me back. And I thought, wow, your God is mean. Um, That's what I thought. I don't know who you serve, but your God is mean. And it's just this idea that it's connected to. It's, It's a powerful idea on you because if you believe things like this, then you can live a very, very guilted life. Like you'll feel bad about yourself all the time. I know different people from either different denominations or sects of Christianity, and they feel terrible about themselves all the time because they're constantly measuring themselves against these rules. And because there's these rules that they don't measure up to, they just live with guilt. It's, it's awful. Not, not only do people live with guilt, but think about like, where does this stuff come from and why is it like so prominent? I'll tell you why I think it's so prominent. It's because it's powerful for a religious leader to get up and say, hey, if you don't do what I tell you, you can't get into heaven. That's some powerful stuff. When you have the ability to control people and manipulate people by hanging over this, this, this set of rules over them and saying, if you don't do all this stuff, God won't like you, that has some incredible power connected to it. Here's another way it, it hurts you. Like, like for the people that stink at following rules, you're just gonna live guilted. But here's the problem with some of you. You're good rule keepers. You were born that way, by the way. You didn't, or you didn't earn that. You were, I trust me. I have three children. Some of y'all are born that way. You're just great rule keepers. And what happens for you is, is you think because you're a good rule keeper that you're better than other people who are not as good at keeping the rules as you are. So you end up let, ooh, it just got, did we just hear like a, uh, I don't know what that was, but I don't know if it was conviction or a, uh uh-huh, I don't know what that was. But the point is, is like, we can get arrogant and prideful saying, hey, I've been a good rule keeper. That makes me better than them. Or even if you dare posture yourself against God, because when you think you've been a really good rule keeper and God doesn't answer your prayer, you feel as though God kind of owes you. Like this was the, the, the story of the prodigal son. Remember that? The older son was like, I've been the good kid. You owe. Like, whoa, 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 player, you better back up. God don't owe you anything like that. Like, do you really think you were good at, do you think any of you have ever been such great rule keepers that God one day looked down at you and said, wow, that is amazing. I am so impressed. That is incredible how good you are. Do you think any of us have ever gotten there where God was impressed by how well we kept the rules? How ridiculous does that, does that sound? It sounds dumb for us to say, but, but again, I think some of this flows out of maybe a warped view of the 10 commandments. And, and what I want to show you today is this, is that kind of packed inside and hidden inside of the Ten Commandments actually reveals this really unique and profound connection between God's love and God's rules. It, it, it's fascinating. So well, I just want to like take open the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments, are, I think if you'll just take a little paradigm shift and look at them through a different lens, maybe the lens that they were intended to be looked at through, it could very well change your life. I'm just telling you this. So if you want to turn to your Bible to Exodus chapter 20, that's the, that's the, the, the how many of you can name the all 10 commandments right now? You can get, yeah, two of you. Okay. So 
and I just showed you a video. So like you just totally had like the refresher, but like some of us are like, I, did I keep the 10 commandments? Is God going to get me in, uh, let me in based on the, the 10 commandments? You're like, I don't even know all 10 of them. If I took a quiz right now, I would not even, I wouldn't even know where they're at. Well, I'm going to tell you where they're at. I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm going to tell you why they are. Exodus chapter 20 is where they're found. And let me give you a little bit of the background. So the background of the story is, is simply this, is that Israel is now in a desert next to a mountain, but you need to know how they got there. So the history of Israel is really, really odd and fascinating and unique and different because really they used to not be a nation. They used to be a big family. So if you ever read your Bible in the book of Genesis, you know that there's a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was a really, really big deal. And Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 kids. How many know he was stressed out, right? That dude didn't have no hair. And so he was stressed because he had 12 kids and, and, and half of them were crazy. But, but the, he had 12 kids. And then these 12 kids, they all make a move to Egypt because there's a famine in the land of Canaan where they were living at the time. So they go down to Egypt because they just need food. And so because they're down there, they stay for a while. And then again, they just start multiplying like, like Catholic rabbits, just multiplying like crazy. And I apologize. I don't know where that came from. So they, they just start multiplying like crazy. And, and like this family just, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But they get so big that Pharaoh, the kind of leader and the king of Egypt, he's like getting nervous. He's like, dang, they're going to outpopulate us if we don't do something. So he basically tries to jump ahead of this thing and he enslaves them all. And so he enslaves this big, huge family. Well, even though they're enslaved, they still are their own people group and they keep multiplying and multiplying. And they're basically this big, huge subnation inside of the land of Egypt. And then, of course, one day, this guy named Moses comes along, and, and then everything changes. But I need, I need to get the context. For 400 years, they were slaves. So the nation, I want you to think about this. That like, like America's only been around for a couple hundred years. That's twice as long as America's history. 400 years. And I don't want you to think like, you know how like when you go to school, you take U.S. history? You, you know, you learn stuff about where we come from or how this or the Constitution or how the states were formed or any of that stuff. You know what their history was? If, you, if they went to school and said, let's take Israel history, it was slavery from day one. As a nation, they had never had their own land. They had never had their own laws. They'd never had their own king. They'd never had anything. All they had was slavery. They followed the laws of Egypt. They followed the taskmasters of Egypt. They just did what they were told. They were absolutely enslaved. And now we know, like, if you live your whole life as a slave, you probably have, like, what we would call slave mentality. You probably don't think very much of yourself. You don't have a lot of self-confidence. You don't have a lot of self-worth. You might not have a lot of ambition in life. Like, a whole life living as slaves. And Moses brings these slaves out to a place called Mount Sinai and God begins to speak to them. Now this is, are you ready? Now it's Exodus chapter 20. So check this out. Exodus 20, verse number one says this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now the very next verse is the first of the 10 commandments. But this is, the, this is the preface, right? Like before I say anything else, this is what you need to know. I used to have a, a friend and an employee and he would always do this with me. He would, okay, pastor, I need to talk to you. But I need to preface it by saying this. And he would always do this big rant. Y'all, his name was Aaron. And so he would make this big, 
he would make this big, long preface. And what he was trying to say was, I'm about to say something really, really important. And I don't want it to come off the wrong way. I'm about to say something so important. And I need you to have context for what I'm going to say. And so this is what he said. He said, I am the Lord, your God. Now, now, I don't know about you, but like you got to remember 400 years, all they'd known was slavery. They'd heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They saw all of the idolatry and the, uh, the, 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 the polytheism of Egyptian culture. And now this God who'd come in and rescued and saved and delivered and 10 plagues and blown up this and blown up that and brought them through the Red Sea. Well, maybe we'll talk about some of that stuff. All this takes place. And the thing that God says to him is this, I am the Lord your, if I say your God, to which Moses would have to be like, wait a minute, you, do you mean the Lord, the God? To which God said, no, 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 I said what I meant, I meant what I said. What I said was, I am the Lord, your God. To which you're like, well, wait a minute, that means we're connected. That means like we're together. Like there's a thing, there's like, because I mean, no, like when I, when I look at my wife, I'm like, you, you, you're my boo, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not you're the boo. You're not even a boo. You might, you're, my, you're my boo, right? Or my bae, or whatever you do. No? Am I the only one that talks to my wife that way? Okay. But, but my point is, is like, is that is when I say you're, you're, you're my boo, which I would only say that to her. But if, when I, I'm like, that's connection. You're, you're with me. We're together. This is a thing. Like, we're connected. This is about us, me and you. We're in this together. To which Moses would be like, wait a minute. Why would we be together? We haven't done anything together yet. You know, we, 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 th- there's been nothing that connected us. There's been, no, like, we haven't been obedient yet. As a matter of fact, we haven't even been good because we didn't know what bad was. We don't have laws. We don't know you. We, you never told us what was right, what was wrong, what was good, what was bad. You never told us what we needed to do so that you would like us. And there's where God's like, uh-huh. I ne- you, you never said what obedient was. I know, but you're in. You're already in. I've already saved you. Now watch, because this is the next line. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now this is, this is the preface, remember? Before I say anything important, you need to know the context. You need to have a lens through which everything I'm about to say filters through, and it's this. I am the Lord, your God. Not just the God, it's personal. We're together. I'm the Lord, your God. I'm your God. You're my people. We're in this together. And I need to remind you of something that happened, you know, 30 days ago. About 30 days ago, do you remember when I brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the land of slavery That's me. That's us. So before I say anything else, you need to know this. I'm the Lord, your God, which is interesting too, because just so you know, like we're talking about different ways of looking at the 10 commandments. Do you know that Jewish scholars and rabbis actually will look at the 10 commandments and some of them will say that it looks a lot like a Jewish marriage ceremony? That there's different elements to it. There's like, oh, look, this is the engagement process. Oh, this is the chuppah and the cloud. And this is the, the ketubah. So in a Jewish marriage, you would have a ketubah where basically, and we should probably get back to this, but in a ketubah, in the marriage ketubah, you would basically list out, this is what I'm going to do and not do in the marriage. And this is what she's going to do and not do in the marriage. And this is our marriage agreement. And then, of course, you'd get in trouble if you broke the ketubah. And so the Ten Commandments just becomes 
this, so you see this marriage proposal, you see this engagement, you see this marriage, and then there's a ketubah, because think about this, think about what, what, is the, what is the first command? Don't answer that, because some of you are like, I don't know. The first command was, hey, don't have any other gods, to which most of us would say, like, you're the one that just brought us out of Egypt, of course not, of course not we're going to have any other gods, but this is what, in a marriage proposal, this is what he's saying, hey, don't have any other lovers, don't have any more bays or booze or any of that stuff. Like, that's not okay. It's me and you and nobody else. Like, we're in this together. And I don't want you to have other lovers, other idols, other gods. It's just me and you together. Like, when you hear things like, hey, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. What's he saying? Hey, dude, we're going to have date night. Like, we're going out every Sunday morning. Just me and you. I know work. I know stress. I know kids. I, I, I know all, the, the rhythm of life will be there. But one day of the week, that's our day together. Just me and you, boo. That's not, that's not the same. But you see this idea of, of marriage, like don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, which y'all think is a cuss word. Is that what that means? What, think about this. When you get married, the woman takes on the husband's name. And some of you hyphenate. But you take on the husband's name. And what he was saying was this, is don't take my name in vain, meaning don't take my name and make it a light thing that you're with me now. Like it's, so like, this is the, I'm the Lord, you're God. There's a personal connection. And I'm not just like in this personal relationship with you. I'm the one who's already brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery before you had done anything, before you'd obeyed, before you'd made a sacrifice, before you'd done anything good, before you disobeyed, before any of that went down, I brought you out. And this is the story of, of what took place because this is actually the second time God speaks to the nation. The first time that he speaks to the nation is a little bit odd, but it sets up this. Are you ready? Let's go back just a few chapters. Go to Exodus chapter 12, and we'll read this together. So again, after 400 years of slavery, God shows up to this guy named Moses and said, hey, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You, you go let them know. And so Pharaoh is basically like, no, nah, I ain't letting the people go because they're slaves. And we, we have a slave labor economy, and the economy will crash. And so this cannot be good. You cannot leave. No, no, no. Get back to work. And Moses is like warning him like, hey, God is going to bring judgment if you don't let his people go. So God starts unleashing plagues. Do you remember this? Remember he blotted out the sun, which was interesting because they worshiped the sun God. And then they also had another God that was the, the, the goddess of the Nile River. And God made the Nile River turn to blood or turn red. And then they, they, they worshiped like these other gods, like the fertility God. And it had an idol in the image of a frog. And so God like sends frogs to invade the whole land. And just, he, God literally just makes a mockery of all of their idols. For the first nine, God is just literally toying with them and pressuring them and mocking their idolatry. But this is what happens next at the end. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month the first month of your year. I want you to think about this. God gives them a new calendar. Like, hey, we get a new, whole new calendar system, new calendar, and this is the first month, and this is how it's gonna go down. So verse three says this. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. And having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Basically, they're like, you need to like, okay, you get one, and then after everybody eats, then you can go back for seconds. That's what was going on right there. Verse five says, the animals that you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep 
or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And you're like, oh man, they just kill. Hey, this is farm life. I don't know if anybody grew up on a farm, you just know, don't get too attached to Porky the pig, okay? Because that's bacon in a month, right? So, so like th- this was normal to them. I want you to know like everything that God is saying here is normal. For them to have a lamb, for them to kill a lamb, for them to roast a lamb, for them to eat a lamb, that's totally normal. That's just the way they roll. But he does something so weird and different right after this. So again, this is to them, this is like, hey, come over for a barbecue, right? We do that all the time. I hope you do. It's great. But this is where it gets weird. And he says to do something very, very different. Verse seven says this, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So the first time, again, 400 years of slavery. And the very first thing that God says is, is go have a barbecue, go get together, fellowship. I'm gonna do something special. So I want you to have a really nice meal, but do something a little strange here. And guess what? It'll all make sense a lot later. This is all just symbolism. I'm setting you up for something cool later. But for now, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to kill it, have a barbecue, but then I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the door frame of the house. Now, let's keep reading because it, it kind of continues with this idea. Verse 12 says, On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will, everybody say Passover. So if you ever wonder why Jewish people celebrate Passover, this is it. It's the story of when they were coming out of Egypt and God was going to deliver them, that God sent judgment onto all the land of Egypt. But if you were underneath this kind of protection or sign of the blood, that if you were underneath that, then judgment would pass over you. Notice you haven't done anything good yet or obedient yet. You just simply trusted God to do something a bit odd. So let's keep reading. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance. So I want you to get this picture again. This is what, this is the preface. This is God saying, before I give you any rules, this is what I really, really need you to know and understand. I am the Lord, your God, and I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Remember that whole thing 30 days ago? Remember when judgment came? Remember when you were under the blood? Remember when you had the barbecue? Remember all that? That's what was going on. And what I really want you to see is this, is this is God saying, hey, I want to be your rescuer. I want to get you out of Egypt. I want to be your savior. I want to be your deliverer. I want to be your strength. I want to be your help. I want to rescue you. And that's the context for everything that's going on here. So the 10 commandments, if you're writing notes, taking notes, the rules, the 10 commandments are not here to see if you get in. They're actually here because you're already in. So before God gave anybody any rules to keep, he saved them. He delivered them. He rescued them. He brought them out. God is doing something for you long before you ever even consider whether you were a good Christian or a bad Christian or you followed that rule or you followed this rule. None of that is what God was talking about. As a matter of fact, let's put it this way. The rules are not a condition to your relationship with God. The rules confirm you already have a relationship with God. Before God ever gave you a rule, what did God do? He said, hey, I'm yours and you're mine. 
And we're in this, and it's personal, and we're together. And I'm all, I already saved you. I already delivered you. I already did everything for you that you could not do for yourself. And in light of that, I'm going to give you some instructions. In light of that, there will be some rules to see. So, so again, God saved them while they were slaves. God saved them before they were obedient, before they were done anything, before they were worth anything. And this, by the way, just so you know, this is the message of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the message of Jesus, and yes, even the message of the Ten Commandments. Now, let me tell you a story real quick here, why I think you need to like really, really get into this idea. Um, a few weeks ago, it was 4th of July, and my neighbor is a firework junkie. I think they're illegal, aren't they? He doesn't care. <laughs> and I love my neighbor, um, and not because I have to. I really, I really like my neighbor. And, but he's a firework junkie. And it doesn't even matter if it's 4th of July. He's a year-round firework guy. Legal, illegal, those rules, he doesn't care. But there's something about my dog right? I don't know if you have dogs. My dog cannot stand fireworks going off. Like she literally freaks out. She spazzes. She starts running around the house. You know what we normally do with our dog? Normally when the fireworks start going off, we put her in a bedroom, put her in her crate, surround it with pillows, turn on a fan, and then play worship music really, really loud to try to soothe her. My wife puts oils on her, y'all, to try to soothe the dog. Okay, that's how much my dog is tripping when, when fireworks come out. But we, we, we hadn't gone through that process yet on 4th of July. We, we kind of like missed it and weren't ahead of the game there. And all of a sudden, my, my man next door is just blowing up fireworks. And one of the kids opens the door to go outside and Marley, she's never done this before, Marley bolted. Like, I'm telling you what, like, like, like I was gonna say like the dogs were chasing her, but like, like the cops were chasing her. Like she was running. She was, she literally, and then like there's kids in the neighborhood. There's like a 4th of July block party going on basically. And the kids see her and they start chasing after her. And my dog is like a little terrier mix thing, not even that big. And, but doggone, she's fast. And so she bolts down the road, turns the corner. And before the kids can get to the corner, she's disappeared. And the dog is gone. And my son, he comes back to me and you can see his face is pale. And his eyes are really big. And he's like, and like, and he's trying to be cool, but he's like, dog is gone. I don't know where the dog is. Dad, help. I don't know what to do. And you know what I told him? I said, that's not our dog anymore. The dog is gone. <laughs> you know why? See, this is the image some of us have when we look at God and we look at the rules and look at the Ten Commandments. We're like, because like my dog lives in my house, right? We have a fence and a house. And as long as the dog is in the house, then the dog is my dog. But as soon as the dog is outside the house, it's not my dog anymore. That's your dog now. If you pick up that dog, it's your dog. If I find another dog and I bring him in a house, that's my dog, right? It's not your dog, it's my... You know how dumb that sounds? It's a ridiculous idea. Because we, we start thinking that the dog is ours because it's in the house. Is the dog still my dog even though it's outside of the house? Right. When did he become my dog? When I purchased him. And just because he leaves, that don't mean he stopped being my dog. So what do I go do? I didn't tell it to my son, obviously. I'm like, hey, let's go get him. And so I get on the bike, and I'm up and down roads, and I'm yelling, Marley, and I'm just trying everything that I can. And, like, I didn't tell nobody because I was trying to be cool, too. I'm like, dang, I hope that dog didn't get run over. And so, and then come to find out, like, I'm, like, talking to other people, walking on the street. I mean, have you seen a little dog, little brown dog? Where's the dog? And, and, and so finally, she, the, see this woman, she's like, are you looking for the dog? It's like, I'm looking for the dog. And, and she goes, your dog is, like, two miles down that way. There were ten people in the middle of the road trying to catch her. 
And so that's the story of my dog. And so her husband and her son took off in a car because apparently, I didn't know this, but now I'm a part of it. It's, it's, a, it's a community now. It's, it's now a community whereby if I see a stray dog, I have to go get the dog. Because somebody found my stray dog and they got my dog. So now I kind of owe. It's like a pay it forward thing, dog community thing. I'm in now. I have a tattoo and everything. So <laughs> if I ever see a stray dog, I owe it. I got to go get that stupid dog. So, and then it's my dog because it's in my house. No, I'm just kidding. But, but my point is, is that I went and got the dog and I went and found the dog because it's what? Because it's my dog. Just because it was inside the fence. Yeah, that, that made it my dog, but it was my dog before that. And just because it got outside of the fence didn't like stop being my dog. It's still my dog. But many of us, we start looking at the rules and we're like, well, now I'm in. Well, now I'm out. Based on how well you keep the rules, none of us are getting in on that. Get that out of your head. You were, you were, listen to me, you were purchased by the blood of Jesus long before you ever did anything good. You finally just woke up to that reality and accepted it. That, that's all that really took place. Think about this with your kids. How many, raise your hand, you real quick, your parents. Lord bless them all. So, so if you're a parent out there, let me ask you a question. Do your kids always obey your rules? No, unless Mary and Joseph are here today, none of y'all got good kids. So my point is, is like when your kid disobeyed you, did he stop being your kid? No, when he obeyed you, did he, did he start being your kid? No, he was your kid. Well, because somehow you, you got him. I don't know how that happened, but birds and bees and other things. And so... The point is, is that like you can't look at the Ten Commandments as some type of condition to see whether you're in or whether you're out. That's not how this works. That has nothing to do with it. God was already inviting you in. God was, and listen to me, and it all started not with your obedience to a set of rules. They didn't even have any rules yet. You know what it was? It was this one simple act of faith and trust. It was weird. It was have a barbecue and then go put the blood on the house. And I know that sounds weird, but you won't live there very long. And so you can just leave the blood there. You have to clean it up later. Because how many of y'all would go home and put blood on your house? You'd be like, that's gross, Todd. The neighbors will freak. I cannot do that. But they were leaving anyway, so it didn't matter. So they're putting blood on their house, which is really, really weird and really, really gross. But God said, just do it. Just simply because I want you to trust me. And if you'll trust me, I promise you're going to be underneath this protection and this covering. And I will be your savior. I will be your deliverer. I will be your rescuer. And that's the invitation that still exists. As a matter of fact, let's do this. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Fast forward 1,400 years. Jesus is sitting around with his 12 disciples. And they're celebrating something called Passover where they got the matzah bread and they got wine and they got all these different things going on. And you know what he does? He does this crazy thing. They had always celebrated Passover and done the lamb and done the wine and done the bread. They'd already done all that stuff. But at the end of the night, Jesus takes a cup and this is so powerful. He takes a cup and he says this. He said, you know how like for years we've celebrated the idea that because of the blood of the lamb that people were saved and delivered? That's just gonna get bigger. Because it used to be that the blood of a lamb saved an entire nation, but everything's changing right now. Because now this cup represents my blood that will be shed for you. And it won't be for one nation. It'll be for the whole world. And then he took bread. Remember he did it with the bread too? He said, you know how like we, we broke the lamb and we broke... I want you to know like this, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can be rescued and saved and delivered, not just for a nation, 
I mean, not for just a people group. We're talking about for the whole world. And this was the idea that took place, is that Jesus opens up the same invitation to say, hey, if you'll just come and trust me, if you'll just come put, just make a step of faith towards me, you can get underneath the protection of the blood and the judgment will pass over you and you will be saved and rescued and delivered. And in light of that, if there is ever a rule that follows that, know that it comes not so that you can get in, but the rule will only come because you're already in. I said this before, but it's worth saying again, you you can tell a lot about a person by the rules they give, right? Think about your mom or your dad or your, your wife or your husband, the rules they give. You tell a lot about them, right? You can tell a lot about God by the rules that he gives. We'll talk about that in the next few weeks to come. But you can also tell a lot about a person depending on who they gave the rules to, right? Like, like you got kids, and your kids are crazy. And I see them while out, but I don't discipline your kids because they're not my kids. I bless your kids. I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I discipline my kids, right? So my point is this, is that you can tell that God is inviting in this new relationship, inviting in these children, inviting in this new dynamic, this new connection. And he's giving them rules not to see if they can like make the cut and get in. They're already in. And now you can tell by the rules that he gives what he's really like. And you can tell by the fact that he's even giving anybody some rules that he's wanting them to be in. And so for the next few weeks, what I want you to do is I want you to get in here so that you can take a look at the Ten Commandments. Because I'm going to tell you this, the Ten Commandments are very much a set of principles that set you up for success. But right now, what I want us to do is we're going to take Holy Communion to celebrate. So we, we, we represent Passover with the Lamb and the blood on the doorpost. We, we, we saw Jesus fulfill this at the time of his have his death and burial and resurrection. We see, and so just like those Jews that celebrated Passover every year, we get the opportunity to celebrate communion. Not every week. It's a special occasion. It's not something that we do all the time. We want it to be unique and special. But it's that moment where we remember we don't get to receive God's love and forgiveness because we were really, really good and we somehow deserved it. We get to celebrate God's redemption and forgiveness and salvation because he invited us in. And we, at some point, hopefully took one step of faith to say, you know what, God, you might even ask me to do something weird every once in a while, but I'll trust you because I think you love me and I think you want what's best for me. So as they continue to pass out the elements, I want you to prepare yourself. I want you, as soon as you receive those elements, I want you to take a moment of prayer, of thought, of meditation, is there, is there a prayer that you need to pray to your heavenly father? Is there a prayer of gratitude? Maybe there's a prayer of confession. Maybe there's a prayer that says, God, I, it's been a while. It's been too long. Maybe it's a prayer of repentance. Say, God, I've been looking too much at like whether I've been good or whether I've been bad or looking down at other people or guilting myself. What if you threw that all out the window today and said, you know, what if I just started with you, Jesus? That before I did anything good or before I did anything right, you saved me, you rescued me, you loved me. What is it that you need to prayer this morning? We'll come back and we'll take communion together in just a moment. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.